everyone, and welcome back to week 60 of the Bible Basics webinar. We're pleased to be back with you again, and uh, this is actually our last episode of the season. We've been doing the webinars for over a year and maybe a year and a half, and uh, we're going to take a little break for the summer, and then we're going to join you back for Bible Basics webinar part two or 2.0 come September, and uh, we'll tell you more about that at the end of our webinar. But just to give you a little uh, update of, of what we're going to do tonight, we're, we have Kevin Spry with us tonight, who's going to take us through a consideration of citizenship. And then about 15 minutes, uh, Jamin Moore is going to come on and take us through the last of our three feasts that were celebrated. Tonight's topic is the Feast of Tabernacles. So I'll turn the class over to Kevin. Okay, well, good evening, everyone. Um, going to start off with tonight just wanting to see how uh, people are, are feeling. We're going to try something a little interactive. Um, if you're able to, if you open up your chat window in uh, Zoom, uh, there's a, that's one of the icons. It's a little cartoon icon, uh, usually on the bottom of your screen um, with that. And if you just want to open up the chat window, and I've put up a, a picture, they call it the blog tree. Um, basically, you're taking a look at a various different uh, uh pictures of different blobs of different uh, sort of people and how they might be feeling. Interesting to see how you're feeling tonight as we sort of embark. It's the uh, end, uh, you know, end of June, last Thursday in June, kind of exciting with summer ahead of us. Um, I'll sort of start off with it. I'm feeling actually like number 20. That's how I kind of feel like number tonight. Number 20, I'm on top of the world because today about two and a half hours ago, I got my second vaccination. Yay. So feeling like, wow, this long pandemic, thanks to really God's blessing of a vaccine. Um, isn't that kind of uh, uh, wonderful to sort of think about the fact that I'm fully vaccinated and the uh, sort of the end of sort of all this isolation may be uh, uh, close to at hand. So let's see, we got a 15 from Jamin. Great to see he's there. Um, you can elaborate if you wish in the chat, but it was interesting to see how how people are different feeling. So um, we got Ashley saying she's 19. Uh, looks like she's pretty, ex maybe pretty exhausted. Long day. It's been a you know long week uh, with that. That's interesting. And I think I saw, was it uh, so, uh, Bailey? I think it put up as well a, a number and it, I think I missed that. Where was it? Uh, uh, it's a lot of people putting, oh, nine from a Bailey. All right. So you take a look at nine. It's kind of interesting. She looks like swinging around. Looks like she's having fun. And that's great. And Dan, you're saying you're 17. Sort of uh, feeling good and close with family, it looks like to me. That's kind of nice and uh, to see that. Um, certainly, no matter how you're feeling, I see a few others, 19s, some 8s. Um, that's interesting as well, just to sort of see how, how people are. And everyone comes to things in a different way. Um, that So hopefully tonight, we're going to just with the class and depending on whatever circumstance you're in, we're going to get a chance to sort of set your... Uh, set some time aside and think about things from God's word and uh, take a look at uh, one of, I think, a, a really important message that we see in the scriptures. And that's this whole idea of, of citizenship. But thanks, everyone, for sharing a bit about how you're feeling uh, tonight. And I know that uh, hopefully if you're not feeling the greatest, uh, hopefully you'll feel better um, as the night goes on and then the weekend is about to come, uh, which is always nice. Um, let's see. Next uh Slide. I want to, what I'm going to mention talking about is, uh, as we mentioned, was this idea of, of citizenship. Um, I mentioned 
uh, just briefly before we started with Dan, that, uh, you know, we have Canada Day next Thursday, actually. So um, we're not having, as uh, Dan mentioned, we're taking a break for the summer. Uh, next Thursday is a holiday, Canada Day, July 4th, July 1st, sorry. It celebrates our, our founding as a nation. Uh, it's a holiday uh, for people from work. It's a, really a day of, of celebration, really, isn't it? Uh, we had a chance from uh, people from uh, across the country, citizens gather together. There's fireworks and often uh, parades. Flag waving is a big part of the day, uh, being sort of citizens of, of Canada. Now, for some of you that are maybe not as uh, old as mine, this may be new, but for some of you who are as old as me or maybe a little bit older, well, you'll you might remember that uh, actually used to be called Dominion Day. Uh, the Dominion of Canada was formed by the British Parliament on July 1st, 1867. Um, it was actually a, by the Queen, the proclamation um, into one dominion of the provinces of Canada uh, under the name of, of Canada, of, of the country of Canada. And the idea of Dominion Day, yeah, it does have to sort of that British thing. And there was a change uh, to Canada Day in the 1980s uh, for that. But it's interesting, a little bit of the history behind that, because the use of Dominion actually was suggested at the London conference that they had before the year before Confederation, uh, before 1867. And the suggestion was taken from the 72nd Psalm, verse 8. Uh, so it was interesting, the connection to Scripture. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. And so the idea was, of course, that when they fed to dominion, they connected this as the dominion of Canada. Um, and the motto of Canada is uh, in Latin uh, is a uh, mare usca ad mar. I hope I'm saying that correctly, but from sea to shining sea. Um, the idea that uh, uh, Canada was a, uh, a country that was uh, going to cross from the Atlantic all the way to the Pacific. But of course, we know that really in terms of the scripture, it's interesting that there is that connection. But in fact, the uh, 72nd Psalm is actually a connection to the to God's kingdom, to the idea of, of the time when, when God would be reign, uh, ruling over the, over the earth under the rulership of Christ. It's a, a prophetic psalm. And so while we think then of, of, the, of citizenship, we often think of it as a as something to a, to a particular country like Canada, and we are Canadian citizens and so on. In fact, really biblically, though, we, we see this idea that there is a coming kingdom. There is a kingdom um, that, that we indeed are citizens and can become citizens of uh, that will be a, a kingdom that will be from sea to sea, from the uh, river unto the ends of the earth, and it will be indeed a, a worldwide uh, kingdom to come. So when we think then of citizenship, there is this aspect, as we mentioned, of a, of, of a sort of a, I guess they call it a secular, the idea of a country. And so, for example, a Canadian citizen, once you, uh, if, if you become a, uh, if you weren't born here, you become a citizen, you, you take the, uh, an oath and you, you have a ceremony and then you receive this certificate. And part of it says that as a Canadian citizen and as such, you're entitled to all the rights, all the privileges, the, and bear yet all the responsibilities and obligations and duties of a Canadian subject. So, so the idea then of citizenship is, is as we see, it, it does come with rights, it comes with privileges, but also comes with obligations, with responsibilities, with duties uh, that we have. And so 
same thing when it comes to being citizens in God's kingdom. There are privileges, there are responsibilities, there are duties that we are required uh, to do. And in fact, we see that when we look at scripture, we can see some direction that's given to us in terms of our citizenship, of, of the way we need to act and behave. And one of the things is Romans, is uh, in Paul's letter to Romans, in chapter 13, he addresses this issue of how does a believer, how does one who, who believes in Jesus Christ is uh, uh, you know, submitted to God's will, uh, how are they to act in terms of, of the authorities of the, the governments of the day? And he says in verse 13, or verse one, sorry, of chapter 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So hence, we are to be subject to the government, to the authorities that are over us. And we really are to recognize that they are indeed appointed by God. They are there by the will of God. And that even relates to and includes even the pain of taxes. So even though we may not agree with some of the things that the government does, we are indeed told in, in verse 7, of Romans 13, render therefore all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So this, this whole idea of, of that we are to, from scripture, to be as a citizen uh, in terms of, of, uh, of, of, of God's kingdom, but we ought to recognize that in the countries that we live in, we still are in submission and we to uh, our subject ourselves to the, the authorities, to the government, and we pay our taxes, um, and we respect uh, them in, that are over us. In fact, in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, he writes in chapter 2, that even that he exhorts us, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and, and giving of thanks be made for all men, but specifically he goes on to mention for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a, a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And, and so there's a, an, an exhortation, an encouragement then for us to, to not only just respect and to obey the those that are of rule over us in, in terms of our government, of our authorities, but we are also to, to pray for them, to make intercession for them, to give thanks uh, uh, for the fact that we can live, lead a quiet and a peaceable life in godliness and reverence. So, uh, the Bible, in fact, is, is to telling us to pray for that. For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So by our actions, by our uh, recognition, we indeed show people uh, an aspect of Scripture, of obedience to the, to the Word of God uh, that we do, and in fact, also help to, to shine forth the, the gospel uh, for that. So living in Canada, we, we'd want to follow the above. We want to be good citizens. Um, yet we also, of course, need to think about our citizenship of, 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 of from God, of, of God's kingdom. And so one of the things that probably comes up in your mind, well, what happens when there is a conflict? I mean, okay, so we talk about being citizens of, of Canada. Well, we have to do that in the government. We should obey them and we should you know, submit to their authority. But what about when God tells us something, when God's word commands us to do something, 
what happens in that case when there's that sort of uh, disagreement or, or this uh, conflict between the two. So Acts as really two great examples because we see right near the beginning of Acts of the Apostles and we see the, the, the Apostles uh, preaching and the authorities, the Jewish authorities of the day were not happy with what they were doing. And so they called them together. They commanded them in Acts 4 not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, whether it be right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. In other words, they're saying, we, we can't. You, you can't, we have to listen to God. We have to, we have to acknowledge what we know, what we know to be true, what we know that, that God has spoken, uh, what we have seen, what we've heard. We need to say that. We can't, uh, you know, we can't ourselves deny that part. And so in Acts chapter five, they're again called before the Jewish authorities of the day. And, and Peter and, and the other apostles answered, and this is probably the clearest uh, statement in scripture we ought to obey God rather than men. So very clearly, it sets up the stage for us then to say, okay, we are citizens of Canada. We are also, though, citizens of God's kingdom. And so when there is a conflict, we need to make sure that God's rules, God's laws are the ones that we obey first. And so that rather than the, the obeys of men. So we are to submit to the authorities, uh, to those that have rule over us, but we also need to recognize that God's word takes precedent uh, with that. And so I think that's an important principle then when we think of this idea of being a citizen and being good, we need to make sure and understand that our citizenship, there is a hierarchy, there's an importance part that in the world sense and in the, in the, in the sense of Canadian uh, culture, we would think of ourselves as Canadian citizens. But in fact, what we are really, though, is above that. We are also, as believers, we would be citizens of God's kingdom. We would be, as Peter writes in his first letter in chapter 2, that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are, in fact, a holy nation. That's pretty powerful when you think of that, that we are considered, we are not really just, we are not Canadians. We are, in fact, been called to a higher calling, to a to the fact that we are a holy nation, that we would indeed show forth the praises of, of God who's called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. And so we have that fact that in that Paul writes in, to the letter to, to the Philippians in chapter 3, that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what, in fact, we really see is that um, we are indeed uh, citizens of God's kingdom, Said so that our citizenship, in fact, is, it's, it's important that we understand that, that there is a, uh, a distinction between that. And our citizen is from citizenship, as it says, in heaven, because that's where currently our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, resides. He's coming back to the earth um, to reign uh, as king. And so we need to recognize that that is where our citizenship ultimately lies. And that we, in fact, we, we are really citizens first and foremost of God's kingdom. And so that means, as we talked about, when there is that conflict, we are to obey the authorities that are currently here in, 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 the, in the world about us and in, in Canada itself. We are to do that. But we need to make sure, though, that when there is conflict, 
first and foremost, it's God that we obey and 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 be we are citizens of of God's kingdom first and foremost. So we think of that and we think, well, yeah, that's okay. There's a couple passages, but when we even think though of really the life of believers as we go through. Oh, sorry. My phone going on, my apologies. Um, but we think of believers with, with respect to uh, down through the time. We have even the father Abraham, who was, as we've looked at in earlier weeks, about the promises that were made to him uh, of the land that he would inherit that forever. Um, so we see in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, the promised land. He went out there and as, and he really went and by faith, he dwelled in the land of the promise as a foreign country, even though this was to be his land. He was promised it by God that he would inherit this and possess this land forever. And yet at the time, it was really as if it was a foreign land for him. He was a, he was a sojourner. He was a stranger in the land because he ultimately waited for the city for, for God's kingdom. The city with which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And so first and foremost, again, Abraham put his citizenship in terms of God's kingdom. That was the ultimate. It wasn't a citizenship of, of the, of the, of the land that he happened to be living in at the time. It was really looking forward to his important citizenship and his life was centered on God's kingdom. And we really have even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to sort of help to, to reinforce that for us. Uh, in John's gospel, uh, in a couple of parts, just before uh, the Lord was crucified, we have in the Garden of Gethsemane, his prayer in John 17, where he says, they are not of the world, speaking of, of his disciples, even as I am not of the world. In other words, the Lord recognized that really we are looking and we are citizens of a world to come, of an age to come, of a, of a kingdom to come. And, and in fact, he tells uh, the Lord Jesus, tells Pontius Pilate very clearly, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? And then I should not be delivered to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from hence. So a recognition before Pontius Pilate and in his prayer to God that in fact the Lord Jesus and his believers and those that believe in him follow him were in fact recognizing that that our kingdom our country is not of this world it's of the one to come it's of the time of the kingdom age to come uh, upon the earth when when Christ returns that would be uh, the kingdom and that is our citizenship that we uh, look forward to and in fact, really, then you say, well, what is our role then as citizens of, of the kingdom of God? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we, are in fact, are ambassadors. We represent Christ in the world. So much like an ambassador in, of, 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 of Canada would represent Canada to, to others, to other, other countries, we too, as, as citizens of God's kingdom, are ambassadors for Christ. As he says, then, now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. God is speaking to us to represent, uh, represent us and Christ to the world about us. And so this idea that we were like calling and preaching to people to be reconciled to God, that is our role. That is our citizenship that we, we are, are doing. We are citizens, ambassadors of Christ um, at this point. And so then in the end, 
Uh, I just wanted to sort of think in terms of as, as citizens of God's kingdom, we really do truly trust in God. So we may think of ourselves in, in terms of a, of, of a secular way as citizens of, of Canada or of the country of our birth or the country that we're living in. Uh, with that, we may submit to the authority. We may pray for our, the leaders uh, that we may leave, leave quiet and peaceable lives. But really, in the end, we are citizens of God's kingdom. We trust in the Lord. And as it says in Psalm uh, 146 on our screen here, do not put your trust in princes nor in the son of man in whom there is no help. We don't rely on the, on the governments and the authorities, uh, the, the things of man to, to try and solve our problems and so on. But our citizenship is the one of, of God and of his coming kingdom. As it says, happy is the man who has the God of Jacob for his help, for his help, for whose hope is in the Lord, his God. And so we encourage you, as you explore and continue to read the scriptures, to think about this in the in the in the weeks to come, and as you you think of of what citizenship means, of the importance that that we want to be a citizen of God's kingdom, and we encourage you to continue to explore scripture to find out, in fact, where true citizenship lies and how it can change your life. Thank you. So with that we'll turn it over to uh, Jamin. All right. Well, thanks, Kevin. And speaking of citizenship, we're now going to turn and look at some citizens of Israel, the Jews. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at some of the different feasts in the festival cycle of Israel. And tonight we're going to conclude with the third and final major feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, while many Jews actually celebrated a couple of feasts after the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles in the Law of Moses was the final big feast of the year. And to dive into this topic, we're going to follow a similar format to what Jonah did a couple of weeks ago. We're going to look at how the feast is celebrated today. What do they still do when celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles? We want to look at a few of the biblical origins to the feast. What does God record for us in his word? about this feast. We want to look at it as a future prophecy. What does this feast point forward to? Is it just about these tabernacles or is God telling us something more in this feast? And finally, as is sort of our highlight for every Bible study we do, we want to look at some lessons for us. What can we apply to our own lives? What can we do to take this from an academic level to make it personal? So let's look at the Feast of Tabernacles today. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's also known as Sukkot. And that's from the Hebrew there, the Hebrew word for tabernacles, which is Sukkah. You often find it called the Feast of Sukkot. It's celebrated every year around the end of September to early October, kind of about the time that the harvest is wrapping up in North America as well. And this year, it's from the 20th to the 27th of September in 2021. And every year when they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews remember the deliverance that them and how he dwell in the booth. It was a main observance that the Jews uphold every year when they celebrate this feast. 
There's the reciting of the halal psalms. And if you were to look in your Bible, you actually have those psalms. They're Psalms 113 to 118. And they used to sing these in a procession as they traveled around the temple, as they went to draw water for the feast, they'd sing these psalms. So the Jews today still sing them or recite them together. There's also the Hasha Rabbah. It's the seventh day of the feast. And it's a day when the sages of Israel tell us that the various personalities that comprise the community of Israel, whose intrinsic unity we emphasize, these are at their peak on the seventh day of the feast, Hasha Rabbah. And often these things are shared with one another. That is these four kinds. They represent the characteristics of Israel. You see them on your screen there. There's a lemon, the willow, and the palm. These different branches that represent the characteristics of Israel. Now, where do these come from? What's the history of them? Well, we're going to look at that a little bit when we come to look at the biblical origins of the feast. So there's these recitings. There's the four kinds. There's also the building of booths. Now, this is probably the pinnacle, the most thought of, perhaps even the most important part about the feast is the building of booths, these sukkah, where you get the idea of feast of tabernacles or feast of booths. And they're constructed of branches from some of these different four kinds. There's palm trees, there's palm branches, there's willow branches, there's fruit branches, there's leafy branches. They're all used together to construct these temporary dwelling places where the Jews are going to dwell for the seven days of the feast. Now, if you were to look at some of the oral traditions of the Jews, you'd find a whole host of rules for building these booths. The booths weren't allowed to be watertight. If it rained, you were supposed to get a little bit wet, not soaked, but just a little bit wet. They were supposed to let through some sunlight and some starlight. The booths were not supposed to be placed under trees because, well, that would make the booth redundant. You already have protection from the tree. There's a whole host of other rules. These are just a couple of the guidelines that the Israelites had for building these booths. And one of the main things that they did at the Feast of Tabernacles was rejoice. As they're reciting these psalms, as they're sharing these four kinds, as they're building these booths as families, the people were to rejoice together, all the while remembering that God delivered them and made them dwell in booths. So, of course, there's meals of rejoicing. There's sharing with your neighbors. All these things would happen at the Feast of Tabernacles. But on the final day, there was an annual reading of the Torah. That's the five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They'd finish reading the five books and they'd begin again. So not only is there rejoicing and feasting, but there's God's word. Now, these are some of the things that the Jews, the Israelites do today when they celebrate this feast. Well, you might be asking, well, how much of this is oral tradition and how much of it is actually written in the Bible? Well, let's look into that. You might want to turn your Bible up to Leviticus chapter 23, if you have it, because that's really a great chapter for the feasts. It has all the feasts together in this chapter. And if you have your Bible out there, you read in verse two that it says these were to be feasts of the Lord. 
all these feasts, the feasts that would follow in Leviticus 23 are feasts to the Lord. And then it says that they were to be holy convocations. And that sounds rather fancy, but really it just means they were to be separate or set apart assemblies to God. And so every one of the holidays for the nation of Israel was to be a day of worship to God, but together as a set apart host, they were to worship God set apart from the world together. Well, if you come over to verse 43, Perhaps you're turning over the page in Leviticus chapter 23. We'll see the reason for this feast, but we're actually going to jump into the record at verse 41. And we read, and ye shall keep it a feast, that's the feast of tabernacles, unto the Lord seven days in the year. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Here we see the reason for this feast. It was to remind the people, because you have to remember that these feasts weren't celebrated until the nation of Israel got into the land. It would be quite some time from this day, almost 40 years before they would actually celebrate this feast. And it would remind the, the new generation that entered the land that God had brought them out of Egypt and made them to dwell in booths. Now, the Hebrew word for these booths is sukkah. It means a temporary structure or a hut. You can see here an example of the Israelites building one of these booths. And it's actually outside one of their more permanent tents that they would dwell in. But for the Feast of Tabernacles, they would string together branches and leaves and build this booth. It would remind the people of the, how they left Egypt, the mass exodus out of Egypt led by Moses and Aaron, and how they would dwell in tents and booths. You see, when they were in Egypt, they were slaves, but they would have had permanent dwellings, perhaps made of clay and brick. Well, they put their faith in God and they left Egypt. They left those permanent dwellings. And as they fled Egypt and encamped near the Red Sea in their booths, and the Egyptian army, the world superpower, was charging down upon them. Well, how protected do you think they would have felt? As they looked up at their tents with animal skins and branches, this temporary structure in the desert, how safe do you think they would have felt? Yet you see, covered just with branches and skins, a thinly veiled tent, their only physical barrier of defense. God protected his people. By his hand, the hand of God, they were delivered. By the hand of God, the Red Sea opened up and the Israelites crossed over on dry land. By the hand of God, the Egyptian army that followed after them was utterly destroyed. By God's hand, as they dwelt in these tents, these booths, they were delivered. This thin covering gave them strength. And so the feast at its fundamental core was a reminder of all that God had done to protect them, this covering that he had given them. And so they were to rejoice. And we read that this was going to happen on the 15th day of the seventh month. This was just five days after, if you look at this calendar, the day of atonement a day when the whole nation would afflict themselves, 
when they can consider their shortcomings before God. Well, five days later, the Feast of Tabernacles would begin. And for seven days, they would dwell in these booths made of all different sorts of trees. There were goodly trees, those that bore fruit. There were palm trees, those upright and leafy. There were thick trees noted for their thick boughs of leaves that would provide a substantial canopy for the tent. And there were willow trees. We think of willow trees, we think of trees that need tremendous amount of water. All these would be used to create this temporary dwelling place. And here, the nation of Israel would would rejoice for seven days before God. And on the eighth day, we read there that there would be an extra day added to the feast, an extra day of a holy assembly and solemn convocation before God. They would leave their booths on this eight day and they would come before the Lord. You know, what a feast this would have been. You know, that's not all. There's so many other details throughout the scriptures that we read of. The feast is also called the Feast of Ingathering in Exodus 23. It's when the Israelites collected the end of the corn and the wine harvest, and they brought it all in. You know, just like the feasts of Passover and weeks, all the males were required to attend this feast, and none of them were to come empty-handed. They were supposed to bring of what God had provided to them. They were to bring of the corn and the wine, to bring an offering before God. This feast was also to be a feast of rejoicing for all. And we don't just mean all by all Israelites, but in the Deuteronomy chapter 16, we read of the men servants and the maid servants, the Levites, the strangers, the fatherless, the widow, everyone that was dwelling with the Israelites was invited to attend this feast. No one would be left out. All who wanted to join were welcome. In Numbers 28, we read of the dozens of offerings that they offered, each day a different set. And of course, we already mentioned that special eighth day of the feast where they would come before God, really come to a pinnacle of rejoicing and worship before him. Now, truly, this would have been an exciting feast to attend. In any of the Bible schools or camps we've ever been to would hardly pale in comparison to this feast. Dwelling in booths, singing praises to God, rejoicing around the reading of his word. It would have been an exciting climax to the end of the religious year for the Jews. Yet we have to stop and think, was that all that this feast was about? Was it just a time to camp beneath the stars and rejoice? Was it just a reminder of how God had pulled them out of Egypt or did it point to something bigger? You see, Jonah and Ron have already taken us through most or half of the festival cycle leading up to the Feast of Weeks where Ron finished off his class. You know, when we looked at those feasts, we saw that there was a parable, one of those stories with a hidden meaning, one of those teaching techniques that Jesus used throughout his ministry. Well, they're in the Old Testament too, friends. You know, in Passover, we... Jonah led us through and showed us that it was a type of the sacrifice of Christ. We saw deliverance through that Passover lamb. In the sheaf of the first fruits and the feast of weeks, we saw the resurrection of Christ. He who was the first fruits risen from the dead. 
And of course, in Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, we saw the calling of Jew and Gentile. We saw them as those two loaves with leaven. Well, between that feast and the Feast of Tabernacles lies a period of around four months. It's a period of waiting, as it were. There's no feasts in between them. A period of four months before we get to the feasts of the seventh month after the Feast of Weeks. It was a time for crops to grow. A time for crops perhaps to wither. A time for the harvest to be prepared. Jesus in the New Testament says, by their fruits, ye shall know them. You see, this period between the feasts, this opportunity for growth or withering, really points forward to the time that we live in. A time between the spreading of the gospel message to Jew and Gentile, and those events of the seventh month, seen in the Feast of Ingathering. Yet before that wonderful day when the final harvest is going to be gathered, when the final fruits are taken, when each individual is analyzed whether they've brought forth fruit or not, there's two special days. There's the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. And the former was a warning that the Day of Atonement was shortly to come. They would blast the trumpet. And everywhere in the nation, they would prepare for that day of atonement. The day of atonement where the nation would come together and they would analyze within themselves. They'd look at their shortcomings. And finally, an offering would be made. It would be a covering for their sins. You know, we don't have time tonight, friends, to look at this in in a lot of detail. You know, Leviticus chapter 23, it's one of the biggest parables we see in the entire Bible. But we just want to suggest to you that these two events represent the resurrection and a day of national or perhaps even international judgment. When all nations come forward to be judged. And these events are going to lead up to this Feast of Tabernacles. And so you can see that before a feast of rejoicing, where every person is invited to attend, can be had. Before all the nations come together to rejoice before the God of heaven and earth. Well, God needs to remove those who don't want to come. Those who will refuse to come up to this feast. God will raise those who are deemed responsible. And he will judge between the just and the unjust. And only those who are deemed worthy will be joined together in that day. And thus far, this feast of day, the in-gathering pleaded, there's a special eighth day. A day when the offerings dwindle down from dozens and dozens to just a handful. A time when all mankind will come together before God and rejoice when God will be all in all. You know, of all our studies thus far in the webinars, friends, perhaps this last series has been the most in-depth, the most challenging. We've had to use all of our Bible reading skills. We've had to put them to the test. We've looked at some context. We've used Bible echoes. We've built upon themes. We've looked at parables. And of course, we've asked questions. Why does God include these things? 
But what can we take away? What can we take away from all this? You know, though the Feast of Tabernacles points us forward in time to a day far away from now, well, we would be remiss to overlook the underlying aspects of the law, sorry, of the feast here. The Israelites were to come together with their hands full of the blessing of God's provision. Everything that they had was given from God, and they were to come together joyfully with an offering of that, to bring it before God, to rejoice as they worship before him, to share it with all those around him. What better way of appreciate what better way to show our appreciation to our God than to offer that which we have been given back to him with dedication with rejoicing sharing it with one another. You know perhaps the best example of that is how we use our time. Every day that we have is a gift from God. But how do we use it? Do we share our time helping one another learn about the things of the gospel? Or do we focus on building up our own wealth? Do we redeem the time? Or do we use it to satisfy ourselves and completely ignore God? You know, another great thing that we can take away from this festival cycle is that God has a plan, friends. God has a plan for the earth. And really this point permeates the whole festival cycle of the Jews. In Passover, we see the idea of Christ's sacrifice, but also the need for separation, to divide ourselves from the thinking of Egypt, the thinking of the world, to separate ourselves to God. In the Feast of Weeks, we acknowledge the requirements of God's law. We read God's law. We understand it. But it can't just stop there. The Israelites, when they heard God's law, perhaps on the very day that the Feast of Weeks was celebrated, They said, all that God has said, we will do and be obedient. Is that our response, friends? Do we hear the word of God and choose to obey it? Or does it barely penetrate our ears? The day of atonement was a day of national covering following judgment. And finally, in the Feast of Tabernacles, beyond all that, We look forward to the the finale of God's plan. There's rejoicing at the final gathering together. And of course, that eighth day of the feast, that great day of the feast, when the harvest is complete and we all come before God. We think of this first verse in 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians 15 is a great chapter because Paul covers almost every single aspect of the feasts. As he writes under the pen of inspiration, and he says, speaking of that final day, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. You see, friends, if we want to join ourselves to the gospel message, if we want to join ourselves to the hope of Israel, that's really our focus. When God is all in all, when the whole earth is covered with the knowledge of his glory, this is God's plan for the earth. The question is, will we join ourselves to it?
Will we be there in that day when God is all in all? Well, truly, friends, we make the answer now. Well, thank you so much uh, to both Kevin and Jamin for their presentations this evening. They really bring our season of webinars to a close in such an appropriate way. I mean, Kevin has brought us to picturing ourselves as uh, citizens of heaven. And uh, Jamin, I think, has shown us that we need to use all our Bible skills and put them all to work. And in doing so, we can see those wonderful parables that are there in the, in the scriptures and he's taken us to that time when uh, Christ will return and the, the kingdom of God will be established. So thank you so much to everyone, all our presenters during the past uh, 60 sessions. Thank you to all of you for coming and attending. And uh, as you can tell, I'm, uh, I'm telling you that this is our last webinar for a little bit. We're going to take a break for the summer. Uh, we're going to come back, though, in September. So watch for that. We're trying to put together an exciting program. We're redefining a little bit what the webinar is going to look for, look like, and we'll give you details as we go on. So we'll watch for that if you've hooked up to our Instagram account or email us and we'll give you the detail as we come to uh, another series of webinars starting in September of this year. We'll continue to do them on Thursday evenings at uh, 7.30 p.m. So thank you everybody for attending. We remind you that these are the ways that you can connect with us, especially if you have any questions, please send them out an email and we can respond to you and watch our Instagram account for details of the upcoming webinar.